Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. It is a joy and a privilege to be here with you this morning. Of course, at my age, it's a joy and a privilege to be anywhere in the morning. Everywhere I go now, people emphasize how old I am. So, I hope to not pass away until this sermon is over, anyway. (laughs) I first had the privilege of preaching here at Temple Baptist Church in Sarnia more than 40 years ago. Pastor Lambert Baptist and the leadership of Temple asked me to come to Sarnia, preach with a view to becoming a church planter for the daughter church that Temple wanted to start at that time. And I ended up doing that and uh, staying there 38 years. But that Sunday, uh, in those days we had pulpits. The pulpit is a big piece of wood that serves two purposes, uh, holds your notes, and it gives you something to pound if your points are weak. And uh, so I'm in trouble this morning. Pound this thing, it's gonna collapse on me. But wireless mics were far in the future at that time. And so uh, there was a lavalier mic that you would put on your tie, which you always wore. I see you still do, proud of you. I'm underdressed. And uh, so, uh, you, then you would plug it in, uh, and you had a cord that, anou- that uh, 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 was coiled up like a phone cord, you know, and allowed about one step each way. And uh, I didn't shove it in quite far enough, and we were getting static. And so Pastor Lambert got up to come forward and, and shove it in and, and bail me out. And as he stood up, I just, I don't know what happened happened to me, but I said, oh, I have hardly started, and they're coming forward already. (laughs) That was their response that time, too. (laughs) Pastor Lambert's still alive, by the way, and uh, he's not doing very well, but he's he's, uh, still able to get up and eat. I like miracles. Do you like miracles? I find them exciting. I have seen miracles. I have experienced miracles. And I get excited every time I see one or read about one in the scriptures. And I think everybody, if, if, if you're a Christian, you just got to love miracles. Seeing God at work in a dramatic and amazing way. Miracles are spread, sprinkled throughout the entirety of the scripture. But I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but if you haven't, let me mention it to you. There are only three periods in the the entirety of scripture when miracles were quite common. From the time of creation, when there were several of them over a seven-day period, I believe it was, and, uh, and the coming of Jesus, which will usher in more miracles. But in the time of the Bible, there were just three times, and each one of them was two generations. The first was Moses, 
and Joshua. The second was Elijah and Elisha. And the third was Jesus and his disciples. And during those times, there were, it just seemed like one thing after another was exciting. Elijah and Elisha saw people raised from the dead, axe heads float, all kinds of amazing things that God did. And one of those is recorded for us in the sixth chapter of the book of Second Kings. If you have your Bibles to, this morning, I hope you will open them and uh, turn to Second Kings way back there in the Old Testament. Uh, it's right after First and Second Samuel and First and Second, uh, and it is First and Second Kings, and before First and Second Chronicles. A lot of firsts and seconds in there, so easy enough to find somewhere along the line. And, and pay attention to what the Bible says and see if what I say comes directly out of Scripture, because that's the only thing that I have to say. In Second Kings chapter 6, we have a story which could have been written, the beginning of it at least, yesterday or today. Because it starts off in verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel. Anybody listen to the news lately? And found out what's going on with Syria and Israel and, and Israel's other neighbors. There, there's been constant war for thousands of years now. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Now, put yourself for a moment in the seat of the king of Syria. Every time you go to fight against Israel, nobody's home. They all went somewhere else. The king of, of Israel with his army was never where the Syrians went. Now that's very frustrating. And so the king sa it says, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? We've obviously got a spy in our midst. And he's telling the king of Israel. Now, if you're that spy, you're in deep water, aren't you? But wait a minute. One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. The place is bugged. You, your, your bedroom's bugged. Your war room's bugged. Every place you go, the prophet of God tells the king of Israel where you're going and what you're going to do. Now, if you're the king of Israel, what are you going to do about that? The problem that presents itself, first of all, is not the king of Israel. It's this miserable prophet who's telling him everything you're doing. So, he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. I want you to remember, hold that thought, Dothan. Dothan's only mentioned in the scripture twice. 
So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And so in the morning, when uh, they wake up, this army is all around the entire city. Now, calling that a city was giving it the benefit of the doubt. It was an insignificant place. It had a couple of wells, some good pasture land. It, it wasn't much of a place. Earlier in the scripture, it was even less of a place, but let's hold that thought for a moment. When the servant of the, of the man of God got up early in the morning, we got to pause there. Pastor, I know I can sell this to you. I don't think I can sell it to the rest of the congregation, but this is the biblical reason that a man of God should have a servant. It says so right here. When, see, I'm not selling it anywhere except down here in the front row. So we might as well move on. When the servant of the man of God got up early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? We're in trouble. We're in deep weeds. This, this army of Syria is all around the city. He sent in the cavalry. He sent in the artillery. He sent in everybody he could get a hold. Said, said he sent a big army to get one man because that one man is the hindrance between him and defeating Israel. What shall we do? Alas. And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow. Ah, like that. When you're in trouble, what's going to happen? You're going to look up, and you're going to pray and ask God to open your eyes, and you're going to see horses and chariots of fire all around you. Elijah and Elisha. Both got horses and chariots of fire. Elijah got, them when he was, Elijah got them when he was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And now for Elijah, Elisha, there's, a, there's salvation, there's, there's deliverance. And it's a thrilling story, and, and it's one of many in the scriptures. We're, the Bible's full of thrilling stories. We have David and Goliath. We have uh, many others we could we could think of, we have uh, Peter delivered from jail, we have Paul in, in thrown into the water, but he's, he's delivered more than once. Miracles, time and time again. And as I say that, some of you here may think to yourselves, but wait, I've never seen a miracle. I have never experienced anything direct from God like that. And maybe that's how God works with people who are important to him, but I guess I'm not very important to him. Or, or maybe that's how he works with those who are in the center of his will, and maybe I am Maybe I'm not where God wants me. 
Or, or maybe that's how God used to work, but God doesn't do those kinds of things anymore. What, what goes through your mind when we talk about the marvelous miracles that we see in the Bible? Some of us, I think, are a little like Gideon. Do you remember Gideon? His story is in Judges chapter 6. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now wait a minute. Was Gideon a mighty man of valor? It says here he was threshing in the wine press. Now I know nobody here knows anything about wine presses, but down there uh, they would put the wine press down at the bottom of the valley and they'd bring the wine uh, grapes down and tread them out and let the wine do its thing. But if you're going to thresh grain, where do you go? You go up on the top of the hill where the breeze is blowing. In those days, they didn't have a Massey Ferguson or some kind of machine like that. They had to tromp out and beat out the grain, and then they would take a fork and throw it up in the air, and the chaff would drift off in the breeze, and the grain would fall straight down. This guy is cowering in the valley because he's afraid the Midianites might see him if he's threshing, come along, drive him away, and take away his food. He's trying to provide food for his family, and the only way he can do that is sneak around at the bottom of the valley where the Midianites might not see him and see if he could get enough breeze to get the grain threshed. He doesn't sound like a very mighty man to me. But the angel sees what he does not. Listen, listen to what Gideon said. Please, Lord, if the Lord is with if the Lord is with us, why then, why has all this happened to us? And where, where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. Do you ever have those kinds of words go through your mind? If, where, why, but, pastor preaches, you say to him afterwards, yes, pastor, that's all true, but. And do you, do you, or maybe you just say it to yourself and not to him, lest he be destroyed. So wh wh what does the but mean? The but means everything else that's gone before is now rejected and we place something else there. Uh, you know, I, I believe that, but. And the but says, I don't believe it. The but says, this is not true in my life. You may tell me that other people have had this experience, but that's not my experience in life. And that was, that was Gideon. That's exactly what he said. Where are the miracles that we've heard about? Our fathers told us about Moses and Joshua and all the wonderful things, but I haven't seen any miracles. How about you? You seen any lately? What do you suppose is, is different? Has God 
change? Does he not do those things anymore, or is it just me? And to answer that question, perhaps we could go back to Dothan. I don't know if we should say back to Dothan because this time was before Elisha's time. And another man came to Dothan one day. Well, we could hardly call him a man. He was just in high school. Name was Joseph. Joseph had had a dream about his brothers bowing down before him. That was not a real popular dream with his older brothers. And they said, you know, that's never going to happen. In fact, we will see that it never happens. And so his father sent them off to Shechem to, to find some more pasture for the sheep. And by and by, he wondered if they were behaving and how things were going. And so he sent Joseph off to find them in Shechem. Joseph goes off and he looks around and the fields around Shechem are bare of sheep and brothers. Somebody runs across him and says, what are you doing here wandering around? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. He said, well, I heard them saying they were going to Dothan. So off he goes to Dothan. And what does he find as he gets to, to Dothan? Chapter 37 of Genesis, the book of Genesis. Now that one's easier to find because it's the first one there is. So... And in, in, in chapter 37, it says, Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks near Shechem. And the story that I told you. Here comes Joseph. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. And so Joseph, now you remember, the Bible makes much of the fact that Joseph was a righteous and godly man. Here comes Joseph. He's coming, although he does not yet know it, to a fate worse than death. He's coming to a fate of slavery. His brothers start off with, let's kill him. They end up selling him to some Ishmaelites who are coming on the way to Egypt, and they sell him as a slave. And the last they see of Joseph is him hobbling away with these, other, with these traders, and he's got chains around his ankles, and he's got an iron shackle around his neck. Can you imagine the pain of that? No, no cushioning on your ankles or anything. And he's walking all the way to Egypt. Can you imagine what that was like for Joseph? Remember, these people that we, we read about in the Bible, they were people like you and me. They're ordinary people. They lived ordinary lives. And they suffered and they hurt just like you and I do. And there's no miracle at Dothan for Joseph. Where are the chariots of fire? Where, where is the deliverance of God? God, you, you, this is your servant, this young man. He's, he's a man you're going to use. Where are you when he needs you? Have you ever 
felt like that? Where, where was God when I needed him? Where was he when struggle hit me, when difficulty came into my life? Where was God at that time? In Psalm 105, we have the story of Israel from, uh, from their earliest days all the way through up until the time the psalm was written. And it says in Psalm 105 and verse 17 this. He's talking about the time of Jacob. When they were... Let's go back to verse 12. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in the land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent. God had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. And it seems like God has just left Joseph to fend for himself. No chariots of fire, no kind of deliverance, he allows his brothers to have their own way in Joseph's life. And, you, and perhaps you know the story. I haven't got time to read it all, but let me just share a bit of the story with you. He goes down to Egypt. He's sold into slavery. He goes into Potiphar's house. God is with him, and he begins to be elevated. Along comes Potiphar's wife, and, and she says, Ooh, this is a good-looking boy. I wonder if we could have some fun together. And she offers that to him. She offers herself to him. And he says, no, I, I could not do that. It would be against God. It would be against your husband. It would be against everything I believe in. And she grabbed him. And he let his jacket go and ran out the door. He had trouble getting, keeping jackets. He lost his coat of many colors to his brothers. Now he's losing his jacket to Potiphar. You know, <laughs> Guys at the store love to see him coming. And, and so he, he flees. Well, she gives this story to her husband. You know, here, here's the jacket of your, your servant Joseph. He came in, he tried to rape me. I screamed, nobody was around. And suddenly Joseph's back in jail. Wait a minute. It seemed like God might be doing something, but now it's gone again. And he's in jail. And he starts to rise up in jail and finds favor with the jailer. And then along come the butler and the baker of Pharaoh. He, he was mad at them, threw them into jail. By and by, he decided, well, I'll restore one of them and cut the other guy's head off. Win-win for me, not so much for the other guy. And, and Joseph says to him, when you get out, remember me. Tell the king, there's a guy in here that has done no wrong and ask him to let me out. And what happens? That's right, nothing, nothing. He's forgotten and again, there he is in jail. And once again, he's been forgotten by man and apparently forgotten by God. What 
in the world is God doing, if anything. Have you ever felt like that in your life? What in the world is God doing? I've heard about stories about how God is working. I've, I've heard stories of, of places where God is at work, but I have not experienced it. But you see, God is preparing Joseph. Years and years go by before we see what God will do. In fact, decades go by before we see God at work in Joseph's life. You see, God does not lead all of us in the same path. He needs to move I, uh, Joseph into Egypt because he's going to use him. Joseph's brothers came to him. Remember, he, he was made second in command of all of Egypt after Pharaoh, and his father comes down, the family comes down, they're reunited, and then Jacob dies. And his brothers think, oh dear, that is bad news. Because Joseph wa was keeping us alive just so that dad wouldn't be upset. You know, fathers also all get upset when their kids are in trouble and somebody gives their kids trouble. And so they said, Here, here's Joseph now. He's got nothing to hinder him from doing what we're sure he wants to do to us. And in the 50th chapter of Genesis, it says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead and said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. These guys are pretty good at making up stories. It's not the first, but it will be the last. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of the God of your father. Do you know what the next verse says? Joseph wept. He wept. You guys don't get it, do you? You don't get it. God was at work all this time, and God was at work in my life for what reason? Joseph said to them, do not fear. For His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Ah, oh, maybe his dream will come true. There they are. He dreamed they would bow down before him. And finally, here they are. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring, about that, uh, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, now we're at the end of the story. And at the end of the story, we find out what's been going on all this time. God has been at work. He was at work in Elisha's time with chariots of fire. And now he's at work with suffering. 
And both of these men were God's servants. And when we come to the end of Joseph's life, we find out that what God was doing was saving the lives of many people through him. Now, there's, there's one thing I really hate. Whose lives was he saving? He was saving the lives of his enemies. Ah, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to be used to save my enemies' lives. I want to be used to kill them all. But then, I'm not God. I'm just an ungodly man. And Joseph saw and was satisfied that God would use him to save the lives of his brothers, his enemies, those who wanted to kill him, and that he was going to be used to save the lives of their children and bring about fruitfulness for the children of Israel in years to come. You see, Joseph was in the center of God's will all through this time. And my friend, this morning, you may be hurting. You may be suffering. You may be struggling. You may be saying, where is God? You may be saying, what is going on in my life? Why is God allowing this? Why the struggle? I thought when you came to know Jesus, it changed everything. No, it doesn't. It changes you. It doesn't change everybody around you. It doesn't necessarily change the way they treat you. You see, God does not lead, lead all people in the same path. He's not pouring us all into the same mold. He's not making Fords. He's, he's, he's making the faithful. He's not making Chevys. He's making Christians. He's not making transistors. He's transforming lives. And he may be in the process of transforming your life through suffering and pain and leading you and bringing you to the place he wants you to be and the thing he wants you to accomplish. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter? He said, I want you to be able to comfort others with the comfort you have received from the Lord. Who, gets, who needs comfort? People who are hurting. You don't go up to a bride or a groom on, on their wedding day and say, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> let me comfort you. Let me, let me encourage your heart. No. You comfort people who are hurting. And you can't comfort unless you've been hurt and have come through it. And people can say to you, I understand now because I, 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 I'm helped by your words of encouragement because I see that you've gone through it. And so don't demand someone else's experience. There may be chariots of fire, and there may be not chariots of fire. There may be glory, and there may be suffering. There may be deliverance, and there may be pain. We're all different. And don't expect yesterday's deliverance. David slew the giant, but he was chased by his own son. Paul was delivered, but later he was beheaded. Uh, Peter was freed from jail in Acts chapter 12, but he died as a martyr for Jesus. So you see, your circumstance is not the issue. Let me leave you with some thoughts that might be practical 
in our lives day by day. And the first of those is I cannot pattern my life after others. Two men approach Dothan. One of them sees chariots of fire and experiences a miraculous deliverance and glory. And the other one goes to a fate that seems worse than death and he struggles and he walks away weeping as a slave headed for Egypt. Both men in the providence and purpose of God. We can't deliver, uh, uh, pattern our lives after others. Both of these are in God's will and under his protection. Many of you have heard of George Mueller. George Mueller had an orphanage in England, and, and the stories of his prayer life are amazing. And he just prayed for everything. He never asked anybody for money. He never asked anybody for anything. He would just pray, and God would provide it. The, they would sit down to a table with no meal, and, and he'd pray and thank God for the food, and the delivery man would drive by outside, and his vehicle would break down, or his horse would die, and, and somebody, he'd bring in the bread and say, this is going to go stale, and they'd have food. And I've, I've heard of others taking that up. I've heard of mission boards that have said to their uh, appointees. Now you can't go out and ask for money. You must never ask for money. All you can ask for is prayer, support, and God will supply all your needs. And so you go out and ask for prayer, which means please send me money. And, and that was George Mueller, though. That wasn't you and me, and that wasn't that missionary. There's nothing in the Bible that says that's the way you have to do it. That's the way God worked with him, and God works with you and me perhaps in different ways. He may, he may do that, but he may not. And I, I also, I, I realize I, I can't pattern my life after others, and I cannot insist that others pattern their lives after me. I got saved in a certain way, and so you should get saved the same way. And if you don't have the same story I have, I question your salvation. Are, are you sure you're saved? I have a friend who used to work for me, and uh, she heard the voice of Jesus and got saved. I've heard of all kinds of uh, Muslim people who have seen a vision of Jesus and gotten saved. And I'm not so sure I'm even saved then. Because I heard nothing. I, 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 I don't know the date. I don't even know how old I was. I think maybe like eight years old. Lying in bed uh, one Sunday night. I don't remember the sermon, but I do remember lying in bed and thinking, what will happen to me if I die? Eight years old? Are you kidding me? Eight-year-olds don't think about it. That was the Holy Spirit talking to me. And I got down uh, out of my bed and kneeled down and asked the Lord. I said, if I've never asked you into my heart before, I'm asking you now. I got back up and I went to sleep. That's my glorious testimony. I went to sleep. Some of you have had a testimony like that in church. can't pattern my li life after others, can't demand others pattern their lives after me, and the lack of deliverance then is not to be interpreted as a disfavor of God. Oh, there's so many exciting stories. Peter, Acts chapter 12, first few verses, Peter's thrown in jail, James has been killed, and, and Peter is delivered. The church is, is uh, praying for him, 
The angel takes him out of jail, sends him over to where they were praying for him. Rhoda answers the door, comes back in. She's so excited. She said, Peter's there, Peter's there. And what do they say? Nah, he can't be there. He's in jail. So much for their prayer life. But you see, later, he was crucified. Different time, different purpose of God. God works in different ways at different times. And sometimes the heartache and the worst things that happen are the things that turn out to the glory of God. 1896, three men go to Africa. And one year later, one of them comes back alive, my great uncle, Roland Bingham, and the other two friends he had buried in Africa due to malaria. And out of that began Sudan Interior Mission, SIM now. And out of that came Equa, the churches we've heard about. You slipped back and said Evangelical Churches of West Africa. Now they call the Evangelical Churches winning all. And, and, and now there are thousands of churches and millions of believers in Africa from that safari to Africa where only one man was even able to come back alive. He went to Africa maybe half a dozen times. I don't think he ever left Canada with enough money to get to Africa, let alone both directions. And yet, God blessed and used that in a marvelous way. And I believe that also then leaves us a compulsion and a restraint to always be in fellowship with the Lord. When the trouble comes, I need to be able to be confident. And it's not because I have sin in my life. Trouble will come. Difficulties will come. Heartaches will come into your life. But I need to be able to say, Lord, what are you doing? I leave myself to you, and I trust you that whatever suffering I may go through, whatever heartache may be mine, whatever struggles may be mine, whatever's going on in my life, some of you have all kinds of things going on in your life, even, in, even kids in high school, kids, they're young adults in high school, and, and life is not easy. And there's a price to be paid for trying to serve the Lord. And some of you are going through health issues. And some of you are going through trouble at work or struggles in your own family. I've got friends who've been booted out of their families because they trusted Jesus and wanted to live for him. You see, some of us get the great deliverance. And some of us get the great suffering. And some of us get both at different times in our lives. But we need to understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have a burden. You have a problem. You have a sorrow. You have a temptation. There's danger and destiny at Dothan. One other thought. There was one other who came to Dothan. His Dothan was a little different. It wasn't the literal Dothan, but was a place called Calvary. He had prayed to his father as well. Deliver me, father. If it be your will, I don't want to do this. And God said to his own son, no, I will not deliver you. You need to go through this so that you can save those people who are your enemies now, but whom you desperately love and want to save for all of eternity. 
and he sent his own son up that hill to the cross of Calvary so that you and I, because of the suffering of Jesus, not in spite of it, might have eternal life. Maybe there's someone here this morning, you've never really come to know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Maybe you've never, you've heard about him, you, you, you know all these truths, but you, you haven't trusted him. And ask him to be your own Savior and Lord. Maybe today, if you haven't, today is the day. The Bible tells us that. Come and talk to one of the pastors. Talk to the friend that brought you here. Talk to one, almost anyone around here and, and say, I want to know Jesus, but I'm not sure how. And they'll be happy to lead you to Jesus. And you who serve the Lord and love him, I want to leave you with this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, all day long we are being killed. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, all these things we are, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or anything in all of creation would be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which you are experiencing day by day in your life. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.